Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It's October 10th. It's Tuesday. Back to work. Cold weather out. It is. <clears throat> it actually feels kind of more like November to me than October, but that's fine. I, I'm okay with it. It's good running weather. I kind of like the vibes. I can, you know, cuddle up and eat some cookies, drink some tea, maybe have a cerveza, watch uh, watch some horror movies. I've been really on a horror movie binge lately, so if you guys know of any good ones, let me know. I watched Barbarian last weekend, well, and also The Evil Dead Rises, and also Malignant. <laughs> I've been on a bender, uh, but I would say Barbarian really troubled me. I'm not going to spoil it, but if you haven't watched it and you like those things, go ahead and watch it. I also watched uh, Hocus Pocus, finally. That was... Pretty damn cheesy, but kind of enjoyed it as well. But I'm just in the spirit. I'm really trying to watch as many Halloween-themed movies as possible, as many scary movies as possible. Just really get into the spirit. Anyways, today I want to talk about Jim Jordan, who, you know, could maybe be the next Speaker of the House. I want to talk about why I think he'd be dangerous as Speaker of the House, not only because he supported Trump's, uh, you know, attempts to overturn the election, but also because he's not serious he doesn't believe in helping Ukraine, and he's peddled a lot of conspiracies. He's a shapeshifter, and a lot of reports say that he did cover up or at least help cover up that sexual assault um, in the men's wrestling team at Ohio State, I think back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about the Fox News fallacy, which is basically like if Fox News is talking about it, don't always laugh it off if you're on the left because sometimes once in a while – Fox News is covering something that Americans care about, which in this case could be the border, the rise of violent crime, stuff like that. I also want to talk about David Frum's kind of lines about how if you ignore political realities, this will enable the extremists to fix them. Basically, if the moderates and the sane politicians don't find a fix to things like the border or crime, the fascists will do it. And then I also do want to talk a little bit about how Things are escalating in Israel. I'm not going to talk as much today about Israel just because I kind of want to just see where everything goes before I cover it anymore. But I do briefly want to talk about how there's Americans that have been killed in Israel, and it does look like the rhetoric is uh, getting worse, and the demonization of both sides is getting worse. And this really does look like 9-11 for Israel in the sense that everything is changing now. Everything is changing, and not in the better. So we will start with the quick Israel update. So Joe Biden has really denounced Hamas's attack on Israel. He also confirmed that American citizens, unfortunately, are among the people that were taken hostage by the group. He actually likened Hamas to ISIS, ISIL, the Islamic State, whatever you want to call it, which I think is accurate at this point. Some of the images I've seen and videos of them killing people and just the execution videos I've seen and everything, I mean, really troubling. And it does seem like this is like the Islamic State at this point. And Biden also said that 14 Americans were killed. He really did come down and condemn them, though. And this is really good to me. It's, it's good that he is not calling these militants or right now saying, well, Israel might have fueled the flames here. It's good he's coming down and saying, this is terrorism. This is like ISIS. These are not good guys. And that he's completely denounced them. Because on the left, I have tried to stay off social media. But some other people have showed me some things people have said. And I have seen that there's, there have been pro-Palestinian protests in parts of Europe. 
including the UK, even in the United States. And there's a lot of defending of Palestine here or pointing fingers. And really quickly, I just wanted to, I took a screenshot of a pretty good tweet or X or whatever you want to call them at this point. And it says here, if you has if you have less empathy towards victims because of how you feel about their government, propaganda is working on you. And I think that's really well said. And I think it actually could kind of apply to both sides, demonizing the people of the other. I think we really see the demonization here and the fact that we did see Hamas just being able to just go through and just indiscriminately kill old women, kill, kill teenagers, children, just brutal. And so I am glad the president of the United States is full-heartedly denouncing Hamas. I am disgusted at some of the things I've seen on social media, the retconning. People are posting photos from two years ago showing buildings exploded. The disinformation is rampant. It's it's really disheartening. And look, there are no perfect actors in this. It's complicated. You can't be black and white. You can't just fully pick a side here. But in this case, Hamas, they're the pieces of shit here. We need to remember that. In some other numbers, though, going on, Israel has said it hit 200 targets in Gaza overnight and has recovered the bodies of 1,500 Hamas fighters in the territory. Hamas, of course, as I talked about yesterday, has said it would start executing hostages on camera, I think, unfortunately, which is very ISIS-like, by the way, if Israel continued to bomb civilian houses in Gaza without warning. Now, we do have to remember, too, that Gaza is is a very densely populated... I think it's one of the most densely populated areas in the world. From what I've read... Hamas fighters probably want to keep civilians inside of the area to be used as propaganda, as human body shields, so then that they can really influence some people on the far left I've seen, you know, talking about how Israel kills all these civilians. Well, Hamas wants that those images and those stories to get out there. And so it looks like a lot of just innocent people are trapped in one of the most densely populated places on the planet. Can't get out. Israel's cut off water. It's a really big shit show. And so... Okay, good. I'm glad they've taken out Hamas fighters. They don't deserve to live, in my opinion, after all of this. But at the same time, you have to wonder how many innocent people trapped in Gaza have also died. And it's really depressing and very complicated. And we'll just we'll just keep watching it. But the, what I would say, though, just kind of going off on a side here, is that we have to remember that after 9-11... The United States had support of our allies. The world really sympathized with us. And really, we had the full backing of our allies. And then you have to remember that by like 2005 and on, especially after places like Fallujah and things that happened there, it it eroded the world's faith in us, the trust in us. Debathification in Iraq was a nightmare. What happened in some of the prisons we set up was a nightmare, and our response and the invasion of Iraq, I think, in general, really ruined our credibility on an international stage. And I think Israel should remember that the world is feeling sympathetic for them right now. And so, and all of us, I think, or at least most of us, are fully behind them, obviously, myself included. I am fully on Israel's side, I think, at least in this recent attack. But I think Israel can't be too violent and heavy-handed in their response, though I worry they will, because one minute you can have the world's sympathy and the world's support, but if you overreact, 
it can be really tough. It can be really tough to get back from that. And I was listening to a podcast earlier, and I forget the name of the person who actually said this quote, but I know a lot of people are right now pointing fingers and saying, like, Israel should have been prepared for this, just like the United States should have been prepared for 9-11. And I would just say that it's really tough. It's really tough to prepare for some of these type of events. And this quote was, maybe you wouldn't want to live in America if America had been prepared for 9-11, because that, that would have meant America would have had a strong security state, surveillance, probably limits on free speech and expression, limits on privacy. Like, I remember one of the most important things a professor ever told me in my undergraduate years was that terrorism is always going to exist in free and open societies, because sometimes if you try to stop terrorism too much, the cure becomes worse than the disease, and you limit freedom of expression. This professor had always told us that, unfortunately, terrorism seems to be a side effect of a democracy. And what I will say, though, that I've heard some interesting reports coming out, and they haven't been totally verified yet because Egypt's saying it's true, and Benjamin Netanyahu's government has denied it. But Egypt is claiming that it actually warned the Israeli government and um, Israeli intelligence about something potentially happening like a week ago, or I think it was like 10 days ago. They said something bizarre could be happening in in Gaza. They were getting reports of something brewing in Gaza, and apparently the Israeli government kind of downplayed the threat and was really focused on the West Bank, obviously other other parts that that they saw the threat coming from. And I, I guess understandably they probably did because that's where a lot of the territories are that they're slowly annexing. And under Benjamin Netanyahu's new coalition, that has been accelerated, right? And so apparently a lot of the Israeli military resources and forces were focused on the West Bank. So there's some criticism here, if it's correct. And again, Egypt, not a trustworthy actor either. But Egypt has been, I guess, an important regional partner with Israel. But if this is true, it is some major criticism on Netanyahu's government, who seems to have been so focused on kind of nationalism to an extent that maybe they miss this threat. And that is something that I would like to know more about personally. That'll do it on the Israel update. But again, nothing happy. I'm saddened by what I'm seeing. And I think we need to understand that, yes, it's a very complicated issue. Nothing's black and white. But on this one, the Hamas people are atrocious. And that needs to be remembered. Anyways, moving on, I want to talk about... Well, first, I want to start by playing an interesting interview on CBS's, you know, Sunday show, Face the Nation, where Nancy Mace came on, right? She's one of the ones that did not support McCarthy, one of the ones responsible for his ousting as speaker. And she really twisted herself into a logical pretzel here. I'm a little bit disappointed with her. In the past, I've really found her good. I like her opinion still to this day on things like abortion, on protecting women's rights. I think she's more moderate than a lot of others. She's not an election denier. But she's also good at just really twisting her logic and kind of being a bad faith actor. And she has allied herself kind of with the Matt Gates, Jim Jordan type of people she was even on uh, Steve Bannon's podcast right after all of this happened. And I, I want to play her interview. I'm going to give some thoughts along the way. And then at the end, we'll get into some more on Jim Jordan. But 
I feel like Nancy Mace wants attention, and for some odd reason, CBS Face the Nation felt the need to interview her. I didn't find any substance in this interview, and she got a lot of attention from it, just what she wanted. So let's listen. I'm going to play a decent amount of the parts where she talks about Jim Jordan, gets pressed on his issues, his election denialism, Liz Cheney's warning, all of that, and then we'll, we'll talk more on the other side. Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Um, we were talking about the two candidates for speaker who have put themselves forward. You voted to certify the 2020 election. Steve Scalise did not. By CBS standards, that makes him an election denier. Is that disqualifying for you? Well, there, with both of the candidates, there are going to be issues that we agree on and disagree on. That's, That's the one. way it would be with any speaker. Well, yeah, well, with any speaker. Um, but well, okay, I just got to I just got to chip in there for a second. I mean, yeah, you're always going to disagree on policy, but these are guys that literally don't believe that the current administration is accurate, reliable, and true to the Constitution. And these are guys that helped basically continue a big lie in a lot of ways. We'll tell you today, um, I'm going to be supporting Jim Jordan for speaker for a number of reasons. I think that uh, his values, his work ethic, his ability to just run circles around everyone with regards to policy and put. I am really curious when he ran circles around people for policy, but sorry, I'll, I'll digress. Forward, we've been one of the least productive Congresses in, inside of 30 years. Oh, I'm back. And she's one of the ones that helped it more be less productive by throwing out the guy that was probably the best we're going to get. He's going to be a workhorse for our country, and I'm really looking forward to rolling up our sleeves this week, no matter how this shakes out, and working hard for the American people, because we've got to stand up for the people. We've got to put the American people first and move this country forward and do it in a positive way, and I think he's going to bring that to the table. Well, let me ask you about Jim Jordan, because former Congresswoman Liz Cheney, mm -hmm. who, as you know, was one of the lead investigators on the January 6th committee, um, warned Republicans against making him Speaker of the House. Listen. Jim Jordan knew more about what Donald Trump had planned for January 6th than any other member of the House of Representatives. And if the Republicans decide that Jim Jordan should be the Speaker of the House, there would no longer be any possible way to argue that a group of elected Republicans could be counted on to defend the Constitution. By the way, I think those are excellent points and ones that should be taken seriously. It does make us lose our credibility and something that needs to be noted for sure. But, you know, we can't have nice things. That is a chilling statement. Does it give you any pause? Well, again, there are going to be all sorts of issues that we agree on and disagree on. Um, and also in terms of January 6th, the Electoral College, et cetera, I was one of the most vocal members of our party that day and the days and weeks beyond that. I got primaried because of my vote to certify, because yeah. I spoke out. And so, you know, we have to look forward and unite and come together regardless of what has happened in the past. We have to be forward thinking and look to the future to bring the party together, bring the people together and let the American people know that we care and we're going to work and fight hard for them. Um, side note, she wants to move forward. She has differences. She believes that Biden is the current president. Wouldn't making Jim Jordan speaker kind of go against that because you're putting a guy in 
who was trying to not let us move forward, a guy who hasn't been held accountable. And to move forward, don't you kind of need to make sure the same thing doesn't happen again, that the people that tried to maybe overturn the election should be held accountable? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I know you've been outspoken about um, defending victims of sexual assault due to the past allegations against Jim Jordan mm-hmm. that he turned a blind eye to sexual abuse. Give you any reservations? I, yeah. By the way, this is the last part I'll play, but this is insane. She twists herself so far into a pretzel. It's kind of impressive. She just does the, oh, I don't know, plays dumb. I mean, everyone's heard these allegations. So it's kind of crazy that one of his colleagues who is a representative of the United States doesn't know that. But anyways. Not familiar or aware with that. He's not indicted on anything that I'm aware of. And so I don't don't know anything and can't speak to that. But I will say that I have been, as you said, Margaret, a very... Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything, and I, I don't know anything about that. What I do know is that I've been a very strong voice for women. I've talked to Jim. So again, deflecting, she's going to support a guy who kind of seems to be the antithesis of everything she believes, but she's going to support him, and then she just deflects and talks about her record again. She wants attention, guys. And Steve Scalise about that. I've been a very strong advocate for rape victims, as you mentioned earlier. The judici- By the way, she has been a big advocate for rape victims. So I'm not going to, you know, criticize her on that by any means. Great committee, as with him as chairman, recently passed a rape kit bill that Barbara Lee and I are working on. And those are the facts and the data that I have to work with. And I've had a very positive experience with him in that regard. So look, guys, we might be lucky enough to have even the ones, the so-called moderates, back someone like Jim Jordan. Now, I do hopefully think Steve Scalise will be probably the next speaker, though this is a whole side note, but some people think McCarthy might try to do it again. I don't know if he has enough support. We'll probably cover that more tomorrow or in the next few days because I just haven't seen enough actual information about it. But the thing is, is that Steve Scalise, current majority leader, is probably the most normal person that the Republicans can produce. I guess that's the good news here. But Tim Nichols, Tom Nichols, sorry, has a really good piece in The Atlantic today. And he he says what I think all of us should know about Steve Scalise, Steve Scalise, who is the more normal one. He says here in quotes, the bad news is that normal in this context means that Scalise is just another mainstream GOP figure calling for defunding over 87,000 new IRS agents establishing a committee on the weaponization of the federal government against citizens and holding woke prosecutors accountable. We also have to remember that he did support Trump's efforts to take the election. He did not vote to certify it. He is what I would call an election denier. So that's that's there. But it's kind of scary because Tom Nichols also then writes about Jim Jordan. How can the United States respond as one nation to the various crises around the world when the Speaker of the House is an election denier spewing conspiracy theories about the current president. Now, I guess you could also say Scalise is kind of in that boat, but in this case, he's talking about Jim Jordan, who is much worse. Uh, We have to remember Jordan, just vocal supporter of Trump's claims of the stolen election. He, you know, he he said it was just asking questions, right? But sometimes it was more than that, and he would actually say the Democrats were attempting to steal the election. I guess it's one thing right from November to December of 2020 to be like, let's let's see what happens in the courts. Let's make sure this is all good. 
But we're into 2023, right? I don't think he's just asking questions anymore. He's a conspiracy theorist and an election denier. And there's someone, Thomas Jocelyn, who was one of the authors of the January 6th committee report. They said, in quotes, Jim Jordan was deeply involved in Donald Trump's anti-democratic efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Jordan refused to cooperate with the committee and defied its subpoena. And he is not just like, like Steve Scalise, Steve, I can't say his name tonight. Steve Scalise is more of one of the ones that just went along. I'm not defending him, but it's less nefarious than Jim Jordan was apparently like actually talking with Trump on January 6th. He's actually been part of the investigation. Some would argue maybe he was even a co-conspirator, at least involved. We'll never probably prove his intent, but still, he's much more involved than people like Scalise. And I think it would be dangerous for us right now when we have issues brewing in Israel, war in Ukraine, issues with China. This guy's not serious. And then we, you know, this this is just not even talking too much about his potential cover-up of sexual abuse and rape during his time as one of the coaches for Ohio State Wrestling. And so, but hey, as Nancy May said, she isn't aware of all the details. So I, I think one of the problems in a society is when the moderates, the people like Nancy, Nancy Mace, play ignorance. That's, that's what we don't want. And the fact that she is endorsing Jim Jordan really has changed my opinion on her. Moving on, the last thing I want to talk about today is basically how the Democratic Party is finally acknowledging that maybe there are issues at the border that maybe crime is happening as well, and that maybe a lot of voters actually care about some of the issues that the right is talking about. And I've kind of called this the Fox News fallacy, or the Fox News dilemma, which I'll talk about more. But sometimes you can't discredit Fox News for covering a story all the time, because sometimes they may have a point. So I would say it's a little bit late to the party. The Democrats are a little bit late to this party. They're not fashionably late. They're almost like late where everyone's already drunk or having a good time and they feel like they've missed out and maybe they're the ones now sitting on the couch wishing they got there earlier. I don't know. We'll see. But voters and even the president of the United States, and I mean Democratic voters and even Joe Biden, have realized that the border (laughs) could be an issue that voters actually care about. And they've realized that the problem is somewhat existent. I'm going to start with the quote from Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the DHS secretary, Department of Homeland Security secretary. He said, There is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States in the project areas. He's basically saying, guys, Houston, we might have a problem. And he's probably not wrong. And we also saw the Biden administration basically allow the courts to allow the continued building of the border wall, especially along the Texas-Mexico border. And also we've seen cities in New York and Chicago and the governors of both New York and Illinois criticize the administration and say something needs to be done around the border and migrants that have been arriving in blue cities. Some of them, by the way, bust from border states in Florida. 
And for once, it seems like Democratic voters are actually quite split on how to handle migrants. And this seems like one of those moments where a lot of Democrats discredited the border because Fox News was constantly talking about it. Donald Trump was constantly talk about it, talking about it. Republicans in general constantly talking about it, sometimes overinflating it. And for their defense, I mean, the Trump administration, the child separation policies, abhorrent, ruined the lives of some of these families. Just inhumane, probably violated human right, international human rights laws, stuff like that. But at the same time, this would be a good opportunity for the Democrats to do something more moderate but sensible. And I also think this is, again, a good example of something I call the Fox News dilemma or the Fox News fallacy, where the left laughs off anything that Fox News is covering because they assume it's exaggerated or misinformation or whatever. But again, sometimes, just because Fox News is covering something, it doesn't always mean it's wrong or should be ignored or downplayed or laughed at. I think party leaders, voter, I think voters get it, but it's more of the politicians that don't. They need to understand that maybe if Fox News is covering it, it's because it's something that the American people are worried about. And the things I think about are crime, the border, and immigration. And I'm glad the Democrats are starting to talk about this, especially now, because crime, the border, and immigration in general are issues that voters care about, and people just see it in their lives. Crime is up. Maybe it's not as bad or exaggerated as people like Trump talk about, but it is bad. Fentanyl is killing a lot more people than before. The border is not in a good state. DHS Secretary Mayorkas even said that. And I worry, though, that if the more sane moderates on both sides, and if the Democratic Party as well, doesn't try to do anything about this, we know that the MAGA Republicans, like Trump's, have some pretty radical authoritarian violent solutions that include bombing the border, shooting illegal immigrants that try to cross. Ron DeSantis, by the way, said that because they would stop the fentanyl but they'd have no way of actually proving that people had fentanyl until after they shot them. Also, people like Greg Abbott, Vivek Ramaswamy have talked about setting up sharp barriers to cut people trying to cross the border. On crime, Trump has talked about shooting shoplifters without a trial or hearing or even getting their Miranda rights read to them or an attorney. He's talked about executing drug dealers much like Duterte in the Philippines did, like China does. Basically, this is what an authoritarian would do when there's a problem. You skip the whole judicial system, the whole system that has separated the United States from a lot of the world, and you just say, okay, well, we're going to take matters into our own hands, and we are going to sacrifice democracy for security, or the rule of law for security. And... That, I personally will never support trading freedom for security. As I talked about, if you don't have terrorism in a society at all, and you have a security state that stops terrorism, you probably don't live in a free place anymore. And the same here is that if you have no crime and you're stopping all of these issues, you probably don't have a democracy anymore either. I remember David Frum, Never Trump, Republican, former Bush speechwriter, putting out an interesting article, I think it was back in 2019 or 2020, and it discussed how if liberals don't enforce borders, 
fascist will. He notes in the article here in quotes, we need to make hard decisions now about what will truly benefit current and future Americans. If we don't, the authoritarians will. And I think this can be applied not only to the border, but to drug policies and the crime wave we're seeing to maybe not bombing Mexico to deal with fentanyl. If we don't see moderate parties and politicians attempt to find solutions, the populace will turn to people that promise security and, st- and stability, even if this means basically conjuring something much darker, more draconian, more fascist or authoritarian. Again, like I said, I am never down to trade freedom for security. Some people are, and I do find there are people in society that do. But we also need to balance a rule of law with a system that actually makes you innocent until proven guilty. And shooting shoplifters, shooting people at the border, not good. Executing drug dealers, not good. I'll go, I'll go back to from later, but let's look at how the migration stuff, crime, and the border all kind of play into this a little bit. So the New York Times kind of surprised me and put out a pretty centrist, almost reformed opinion on the border that was kind of bringing up some issues that Fox News and the right have been talking about for a while. Obviously much more nuanced than Fox News and I think better written, but still. And it's a pretty honest piece about how many liberal cities are souring on the current situation that I think predates the Biden administration. As I've talked about it, both parties for decades haven't been able to fix anything. But anyways, the article's about how immigration policies due to crime, chaos, overcrowded cities, lack of hotel, taxpayer dollars going to housing, immigrants, blah, 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 blah. Especially during inflation in and in a, not a great economy. And this article was out last week and it writes here in quotes, in some of the country's most liberal cities, Democrats are wrestling with the complications of a dysfunctional immigration system and a set of problems that for many years has largely remained thousands of miles away. By the way, I do not like Greg Abbott, do not like Ron DeSantis, but maybe they were successful in at least um, showing what it's like, what the situation is like. Anyways, the article continues. Most strikingly, in quotes, much of the debate over incoming migrants is happening not in swing states or battleground suburban countries, counties, sorry, but in some of the most diverse and deeply blue corners of the country. Here's some numbers for you. In New York, more than 113,000 migrants have arrived since 2022. That's a shit ton of people. And the, the Times here notes locals' officials have struggled to respond, and the city has estimated that it would spend about $5 billion this fiscal year to house and feed migrants. This, guys, is where the populist rhetoric that can become toxic sticks. I can just hear the voices of voters. New York State and the federal government are funding to feed and house migrants while my gas and grocery bills are going up and I can't even afford my housing. Rent's going up. My pay's not going up. I can just hear the echoes. We need someone to shut down the border. Make sure no one else comes in. That's not me saying it, but I can just hear voters thinking that or saying that. Here's, here's another number. Chicago has taken in 13,000 migrants, almost 14,000 actually, sorry, and spent at least $250 million. By the way, J.B. Pritzker, governor of Illinois, not exactly happy. 
saying we need to spread this issue out throughout the United States. By the way, Eric Adams has been down in South America, or sorry, in Latin America, basically saying don't come here, trying trying to appeal to the Mexican authorities not to let people come here. Quite a shift. Also, Washington D.C. that is has taken in 10,500 migrants. That is since the first bus arrived outside the home of, of course, Kamala Harris. Massachusetts, according to the New York Times, the state's shelter population rose 80% in the last year. That's after the, the arrival of thousands of migrant families. You also hear that hotels are being now booked up with migrants. It's made it hard. Sometimes people can't find lodging in cities. Like, definitely first world problems. But the malaise of the economy with inflation, with this, it's creating to be a political situation for Biden that's not particularly great. And this is becoming a bad situation for Biden. And maybe that's why they're shifting. I wish sometimes politicians would shift on these issues, not because it's bad for them politically, but because it's the right thing to do. In this case, I don't think that's it. But here's just some information on why Biden might be shifting. So Republicans, as crazy as they are, and sometimes this surprises me, but Republican politicians actually have an edge with voters on immigration. The New York Times uh, cites a Pew Research Center survey that says roughly 4 in 10 Americans said they broadly agree with Republicans on the issue in June. That's 10 points more than uh, agreed with Democrats. Siena College also last week found that 51% of registered Democrats in New York considered the recent migrants to be a major problem. Only four, But now here's something interesting. 14%, which I guess is good news, ranked it as the single most important issue. I think, I think if you polled Republicans, for them it would be a significantly bigger issue than it is for Democrats. But still, if you're Biden, you're probably not happy to see this. Now, something else interesting is happening down at the southern border. Now, Biden, you know, back during his 2020 campaign, promised he would never restart construction of the wall. Now, Republicans and Fox News are really criticizing him last week into this week because they're saying he is doing that. Now, it's a little bit more complicated. The Guardian has a good piece, and it talks about how basically Joe Biden is facing a lot of criticism from environmentalists, political opponents like Fox News and Republicans, and even Democrats, because his administration waived 26 federal laws to allow border wall construction in South Texas. The Guardian says, in quotes, its first use of a sweeping executive power that was often employed under Donald Trump. To me, it sounds like they just weren't able to stall border construction in South Texas that Greg Abbott's been doing for quite some time. Doesn't sound like he, like, raced to get it going again. What happened was during the Trump presidency, there were about 450 miles of barriers that were built along the border, and the Biden administration kept halting these efforts. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, had resumed them, and the Biden administration, I think, couldn't delay or halt the construction any longer. So that's really what happened is now it's just been allowed to keep happening. And so, of course, Biden's opponents are jumping on it. But then I did read you the statement from Alejandro Mayorkas from earlier saying the situation's bad and we do need physical barriers. So maybe that means a wall. And I mean, again, walls are stupid. Walls aren't going to do it. We live in the 21st century. Also, like fentanyl, a lot of times is being brought over by American citizens, by the way. I think more people need to be made aware of that. I wish people were more, more aware of that. 
but like a wall is so medieval like we need drones cyber technology border enforcement uh maybe more limited asylum process that is more limited on who can apply but the people that can't apply maybe get granted asylum status quicker i don't know but it's a border wall stupid it's just literally a I've always said this. A border wall is just the symbol of Trumpism. It's a symbol for border security that doesn't actually do anything. And it sums up his faux populism so well. Also, though, environmental advocates, I guess, are mad because a new wall could run through public lands. You're talking about eminent domain as well. There's also habitats of plants and species that are endangered, like the ocelot, which is a spotted wild cat. Lots of things. Also, (laughs) I think it was Matt Stoller. Pretty smart guy. What does he work for? I always forget. Um, I have it written down here. Director of the American Economic Liberties Project. <laughs> he jokes, Mexico didn't pay for the wall, but Biden did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, it does seem like the Biden administration is flipping, and it might be a little bit too little, a little bit too late, but it does show that some of these issues are pretty serious. And then I do want to quickly go to crime. Crime is up. We've had Congress people even get attacked on their way to their cars, mugged. There's been stabbings. Look, if you live in a big city, crime is not doing great. And I think there's reasonable arguments to be made that some more blue-leaning cities are not prosecuting people like they should. So, so excuse me. So DeSantis and Trump are basically trying to outdo each other on who can be more authoritarian and liberal in dealing with crime. So let me let me play Trump for a moment. But in places where there is a true breakdown in the rule of law, such as Oakland, oh, Oakland is so bad. I will use every power at my disposal. But it's not Oakland. It's in Los Angeles. It's all over. I mean, it's terrible. It's in places that you wouldn't even believe. But I will use every everything I can, every single power at my disposal, including sending as many federal law enforcement assets as required to restore safety and peace. And we will immediately stop. And some people are going to say, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe. You know, these people are killing people when they go into the sewers. You'll have 300 young people who are not looking for a good future walk into a store, big department store, and just pillage it. And if you happen to be there when they're there, they'll knock the hell out of you and kill you in some cases. And we will immediately stop all of the pillaging and theft. Very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. Shot. By the way, I cut it off, but the crowd then starts just chanting Trump, 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 Trump. Very... <sighs> draconian, authoritarian, troubling. And look, like, like what, what worries me is that I think there's a lot of sensible people, and I don't totally blame them whatsoever, that are going to say things are bad, public safety is down, I don't feel safe walking out, I don't feel safe going to the places I used to, crime is up. Maybe we do need to bring more force, basically security through strength, into our cities. And the sad thing is I can see good people liking that, The thing to me is that you never want to trade our judicial system, innocent until proven guilty, for momentarily or temporary security. 
It's just not going to create a better society in the long run. And in fact, when the government slowly takes away due process, as well as other layers that have made our system so sustainable for generations and centuries, then we're no better than some of these places like the Philippines, where Rodrigo Duterte was just executing drug dealers, whether it was weed or multiple offenders selling, you know, bricks of cocaine. It didn't really matter. And again, I'm just worried that this message will be appealing because people are on edge. And this is where I think the Democrats are in, an, in a unique position if they can get over the Fox News fallacy and try to moderate these issues while also highlighting that there's an issue. And they can make the look or they can make the right look more extreme because we have to remember Democrats can be a little bit more towards security and law and order, securing the border. But they can always then point to the Republicans and say they're going to be more extreme because right now they are. That's not a bias. Just watch the news, read articles, hear what they're saying. There's a bias. So it's, it's a scary time. And again, I think the big story of our time is going to be that the Democrats were a little too little, a little too late, and didn't respond correctly to the threat that we are facing right now. I'll just wrap it up by reading the, a passage from that David Frum article. <laughs> and he says here in quotes, Demagogues don't rise by talking about irrelevant issues. Demagogues rise by talking about issues that matter to people and that more conventional leaders appear unwilling or unable to address. Unemployment in the 1930s, crime in the 1960s, mass immigration now. Voters get to decide what the country's problems are. Political elites have to devise solutions to those problems. If difficult issues go unaddressed by responsible leaders, they will be exploited by irresponsible ones. Anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great night. I'll be back.